Hey everybody, Booketing coming right up, but first, a note from me, Nathan. I just wanted to let you know the nature of the episode you're about to hear. We started out trying to record a Hobbit podcast, the ultimate Hobbit podcast, the greatest podcast that's ever been recorded about the Hobbit. And we still intend to do that. I think that will be coming next week if all works out according to my diabolical plan. But this episode just went in a different direction. And, you know, sometimes when we do bunny trails, I'll edit them out or we'll start over or whatever. But in this case, we started talking about style and talent and some of our favorite things to talk about. And I thought it was a good conversation, and I decided that I would release it as an episode. So The Hobbit is still coming. It will be next week. You should also just be aware that this episode is kind of weird. Like, it wants to be a Hobbit episode. It starts as a Hobbit episode, and then it goes off in this different direction and never really comes back to The Hobbit. But I think it's a good, edifying, entertaining episode like we like to do. We will be back next week with our Hobbit episode, and I hope that it lives up to your hopes and dreams for a Booketing Hobbit episode. I'm excited about it. I think we have a lot of good things to say about it. That's just not what ended up happening on this episode. So enjoy. Coming up next, there's a hole and something lives there. It's the Hobbit. Hey, everybody. That's what lives in the hole in the ground. If you didn't know that, then I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, because it doesn't seem like you know very much, because that's a pretty famous line from literature. Brandon, what is it that makes that line so iconic? You would ask that, Nathan. <laughs> I would. Um, Let's read that line, Nathan, and, let's, and then let's ask Jake. Okay. In a hole in the ground, there lived a Hobbit. Brandon? In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Well, Nathan, for one, it's a fun little opening line. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hole and it's in the ground. And typically you don't think of people living in a hole in the ground. So automatically there's a sense of strangeness to it. And to add to that sense of strangeness is the word hobbit. We mm-hmm. don't even know what one is yet. He's just assuming you know what one is. I was reading this to my kids and my son Jack said, what's a hobbit? And I said, be patient. I'm sure he's going to tell you. And in fact, on the next page, he says... But first, a word about hobbits. Goodness gracious me, or something like that. Yeah. I suppose hobbits need some description nowadays, since they have become rare and shy of the big people, as they call us. Mm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got this in a hole in the ground. There lived a hobbit. And right, it's like once upon a time without saying once upon a time. That's why it's a great iconic line, Nathan. There you go. All right. Bye. See everybody. Do you think that the hobbits call us big? We know they call Brandon a big person. Because I'm tall. Yeah, because <laughs> you're tall. Yeah. They probably also call you handsome. Yeah, probably. For people who don't know, Brandon, man, imagine a Greek god uh-huh. crossed with Brad Pitt, crossed with an Olympic athlete. Yeah, that's and me. That's Brandon Chastine. And then, and he's the scholar who's a baller of reading. Yeah. And then imagine a lithe, clever, skinny little fellow. That would be me, Nathan Alberson, your humble and obedient host. And then imagine a withered old wart (laughs) masking the face of a gentleman that you can hardly stand the sight of. Imagine the vomit rushing from your stomach into your, I mean, it starts as food, actually. It's just food, but it becomes something that we call vomit because (laughs) it goes from your stomach up through your esophagus. Greetings, new listeners. You came just for the Hobbit. Cut, cut, cut. Now, you're used to food going down your esophagus. No, folks, we're so excited to be talking about The Hobbit today. We are. Don't everybody talk all all at once. (laughs) Very excited. Now, we talked about Tolkien last week. We talked about the creepy time that his wife danced in the woods for him. That's the principal thing that I've taken away from the Tolkien context, the wonderful Tolkien context that Brandon gave last week. And I'm ready and raring to talk about some Hobbit, yo. Yo. Or as Brad calls it, the Obit. The Obit. Hello, Obit. I said Obit. Hello, my little Obit. <laughs> little hole in the ground there, little Obit. Yeah, and an, and an hole in the ground. 
No, he can pronounce G's. Yeah. Fred, Fred can pronounce G's. He says, oh, in the ground. A little orbit. Oh, in the ground. Give me a orbit. Your head, you little orbit. Yeah. Wait, wait. You're gonna bite the head of the little hobbit. Pet his head. Are you gonna pet his head? You're gonna pet his head. Yeah. <laughs> wow, guys. Yeah. It cannot be. What's the word for putting something off? Delayed. It cannot be delayed. We needed to talk about the Hobbit, and I couldn't Let's be more it. excited. Yeah. Brandon. Yeah. Is there any specific Hobbit-related context that you want to give to us? No. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Let's talk about it. What do I you think, got? I think we covered the Hobbit context in pretty good yeah. detail last the episode. The famous story is that Tolkien was bored of grading papers. And then he... I will why, have... why, is, why are we making fun of this story? It's a good if story. It's what he did. If he was bored of grading papers, and that's how the Hobbit came to be. That's the story. And then he scribbled a brilliant line <laughs> <laughs> of what would become an iconic, wonderful novel that everyone loves. Thank you. Mr. Tolkien. I don't know why I'm making fun of it. It's just, it feels like the kind of thing that deserves to be made fun of. It's like one of those pieces of hagiography, but by all accounts, it's true, and there's no reason to disbelieve it, and it's a cool story, so the joke's on me. Yep. I shouldn't make fun of it. You should not. There will be specific Lord of the Rings-related context, because we didn't get a whole lot into that. Yeah. But let's talk about The Hobbit. What do you guys... Let me just open the floor up <laughs> for Hobbit commentary. What do you guys think about that Hobbit? I don't know how you don't love it. It's pretty great. What do you guys love about The Hobbit? Well, it is a fun and whimsical little book in a really well-developed world that follows the transformation of a sort of bumbling childlike character into a hero who isn't all that heroic, but still is heroic. And each chapter is it's pretty episodic, especially at the beginning. So, you know, it's it's like a book of tales that are all leading towards a consummate event but they're all complete in and of themselves so Brandon, that's your th- pretty cool your thoughts one of the things i love about it is that the voice of tolkien comes through very strongly and it's a kind storytelling voice we just talked about the line where he says i suppose hobbits need some description nowadays since they have become rare and shy the big people as they call us but it's just it's sprinkled throughout the book it definitely has what that i think what you called the grandfatherly Grandpa's telling a fun story with his pipe by the fire. Yeah, it has that quality. Vibe to it. Poor Mr. Baggins. It was a weary long time they'd have lived in that place all alone and always in hiding, never daring to take off his ring. A very intimate but not condescending tone to the story. What is the difference between this and condescending? What would the difference between this and condescending be? Yeah, because I'm actually thinking well, of various articles and things that Jake and I have commissioned or had submitted to us or tried to write ourselves for Warhorn Media for children. And anyone, anytime anyone tries to strike this avuncular, let me get down on the kids level and explain things and say, well, now, Johnny and Stevie, you probably don't understand this Bible verse, but it always comes off condescending as heck. Well, And I'm not quite sure how Lewis and particularly Tolkien get away with it. I think that you've got to be able to at least come off as though it's not for effect but that it's actually for the kids. The sincerity and insincerity can be sniffed out pretty readily, I think. And I mean, we talked about this with Mill, and then we talked about it with Kipling. It's the sense that- They're talking down somehow. Well, Kipling, we said, was actually enjoyed talking to kids. And right. got down, was really writing for them. Sometimes Mill, succeeded, sometimes didn't. Mill, by contrast, was always, he, was, he wasn't making his asides for the kids. He was writing, he was always writing with a wink and a nod and a nod and was playing to the adults in the room. And making sure that certain things went over the kids' heads for humorous effect. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's the difference between lifting someone up to your level, which is what Tolkien actually seems like he's doing and talking down to like Tolkien wants the kids to understand. He wants them to get it. He wants to bring them along. I don't, Really know what the difference is, though, in terms of the mechanics of, like, why do I know this feels sincere, and why do certain things that strive for the same effect feel I I mean, I really think it's just, he really did write these stories for his kids and tell these stories to his kids, and it really was for them. And I I think that's just some mojo that gets, you can just, makes it into the Karmically feel that he meant it. The reality, the sincerity of it. I mean... I can write something to my kids and I can write something that's supposed to sound like it's written to kids, but it's not. And it's for the, it's for, to make you think that that's what it is, or it's to be winking and nodding 
at you? I think what it comes down to is that Tolkien actually, he loved the story he was telling and he loved the act of storytelling. He wasn't doing it for any other reason than he just loved the, st- loved the Hobbit and this, this, this tale. Mm-hmm. He wanted to s- tell it in such a way as was entertaining. The fact that it entertains children, I think, is a kind of a happy coincidence, but it fits the story. Because Lord of the Rings is not for children, for sure. Right. But he told it in such a way as where his children would be entertained because he wanted to see them happy and entertained, but it also entertained himself. And I think it's just proof that you don't have to sacrifice the one for the other. Do you guys prefer the more conversational style of The Hobbit to the more austere style of Lord of the Rings? Or do you think that's a dumb question? Or Well, I haven't started reading The Lord of the Rings again, so. Well, I think they're two very different... That's almost a different genre. I mean, The Hobbit is very much a kid's book, as Brandon was saying, and it reads like a kid's book, and it's got more whimsy, and it's not expecting... That's why I said it's episodic. It's not expecting you to be tracking with the major narrative right? and all the great big things that are going on. A Hobbit is going on a journey, and they're going to a mountain somewhere, but right now they have to deal with these... Whatever it is in each chapter... Yeah, whatever it is in each chapter, each chapter is its own complete story. Oh, we're going to have our first adventure and it's just going to be three uh, trolls. Okay, now it's going to get, a l- in the next episode, it's going to be a little bit darker and it's going to be, you know, and then we're going to be caught up in trees, you know, with fires lit under us. Oh, and then we're going to be in the forest of Mirkwood and it's going to be darker and there's going to be spiders. Even the the rescue of sorts is going to be less friendly and, you know, it's just a acclimating you to in every each time Bilbo's going to have to f- learn a lesson about himself or about the people he's with and have a new challenge that he overcomes he's going to have have his first kill he's going to figure out how to deal with Gollum he's going to you know take this step that either by being in the right place at the right time or for whatever reason the hand of the providence of this universe is just going to position Bilbo to grow in the estimation of his company and in his confidence that he can actually be helpful and do the right thing leading up to him taking the Arkenstone to Bard. Mm. I guess I want to sort of... Whereas, um, I guess I sort of lost the plot of what the question was, but I mean, the Lord of the Rings is asking a lot more of you. Mm -hmm. This is just two very different things. I I think The Hobbit's way more fun. Do you guys still find this book in a non-nostalgic way works for you? Like, can but you it, could I you read this to yourself? To it. That's true. But it's, even I find it, yes, I do. It's very charming and fun and imaginative and enjoyable. That's what I found. I I found myself just reading it for pleasure, like in a way that doesn't always, frankly, happen with books Bookening. or the yeah. bookening. It was just like this is absorbing. I enjoy, you know, just reading about the way that they all show up at Bjorn's house, for example. Yep, it's just clever and fun and. I started, to, I, I know we hate these questions and I hate asking these questions, but I always feel like I need to ask like, it's a pretentious question maybe, but it's the same thing I always want to ask with Shakespeare. What is it that makes this so great? Because there's a million stories that basically hit the same beats, that do the same things, but this is the one. This is well, I think so that- absorbing and so cool and so interesting and you just want to keep reading. And I, it's like what makes a Shakespeare line memorable or something like what is that magic i i think i mean i'm okay my first answer is that it's just magic and there's sometimes you just can't really put your finger on it but i think that this is one of the beauties of literature is that the charm and the whimsy of this book uh, is something that is really hard to capture outside of reading it right it's why uh, The Lord of the Rings is much more suited to Peter Jackson than The Hobbit. You, he can't do The Hobbit because he, he can't capture the charm and the whimsy of stark, ham-fisted, light versus dark, good versus evil. Mm-hmm. He can do that. He can do that just just fine on a, rel- on a sliding scale. But the charm, the whimsy, the m- mystical magic of The Hobbit... That's pretty special. I would be interested to see what Guillermo del Toro had done. Man, that's a missed cinematic opportunity, yeah. if ever there was one. A fun alternate history, if we could 
get in our man in the high castle machines. I've never watched that show and I've never read that book, but if I'd love to go to a universe where we got to see those Hobbit movies. But yeah, you're right. I didn't yeah. even know he was on tap for them. Yeah, he was going to direct a two-part adaptation right. of The Hobbit as produced <clears throat> by Peter Jackson. And then they it got tangled up in rights between Christopher Tolkien and New Line and money issues. And it Jackson just, ended up taking the whole thing. It went for so long that Del Toro said, I'm not going to waste more years of my life waiting for this to happen. He dropped out and then Jackson did it. And the idea of Del Toro directing a Hobbit set within some, the continuity of the Jackson universe, but with Del Toro bringing his, his weird, his weird fairy cool. tale, it could have been at least interesting. Probably, arguably, in my imagination, of course, it's easy to say this, better than what we got. Just like the Colin Trevorrow Star Wars is so much cooler than the lame. It is. Yeah, but actually, I think in both cases, it probably would have been cooler. <laughs> what are you thinking, Brandon? You're... We still would have complained about both of them, but they would, they would be better. Yeah. Both of them would be. Yeah, we'd probably be like, man, I wonder what the... The J.J. Abrams version would... No, we wouldn't do that, but... <laughs> no, we would wonder what somebody else yeah. is better than Colin Trevorrow. What's it, the Steven Spielberg version? I don't know what we would say, but We'd yes. come up with somebody better than yeah. that, but the fact is we would still be like, but man, that Kylo Ren versus Darth Vader scene was pretty cool and fun. I, I can't believe they pulled that off. And By the way, folks, know. I'd like to make fun of both me and Jake here. I'd like to make fun <laughs> of myself first for pulling Steven Spielberg. That was the only director that I could pull as an example. <laughs> Pretty lame. And then Jake was like, well, we'd come up with someone better than Steven Spielberg. <laughs> so I think we can make fun of Jake, but we can also make fun of me first. So we can be both I, self see, and see, I other deprecating. Uh, okay. Uh, on the one hand, fair. On the other hand, come on. Everybody knows that Spielberg's past his prime when it comes to this kind of th- kind of thing. He yeah. Would, he's just not interested. He just doesn't, yeah, he doesn't he care. Yeah. He would not be a good pick for a new Star Wars movie. Right. Steven Spielberg's Return of the Jedi, we can always fantasize about. Yeah, absolutely. But he's supposed to do Return of the that's, Jedi. He's, he's who Lucas wanted, and he was not a part, or Spielberg is part of the guild, and so he couldn't because Lucas left Hollywood and pieced out of all the guilds. Oh. So he had to go outside the uh, beaten path. Brandon is very pensively leafing through The Hobbit right now, and I want to crack open his skull yeah. and uh, never have to have him on the podcast again. <laughs> I just... Just do it, Nathan. Leave him rotting in the woods. No, I want to crack open your skull, Brandon, uh-huh. and have those glorious thoughts flow into a microphone. Well, that's uh, quite the setup there, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking, Brandon? What are you searching for? I'm not searching for anything. I'm just taking delight in the language and in the storytelling here. What are you taking delight in? I mean, maybe people are going to get upset that that's basically what I'm going to keep going back to, but it's just the way he writes. It's just so wonderful and endearing. But like when they're first walking a short rest, they see the Misty Mountains for the first time. And Bilbo asks, if that, are those the Misty Mountains? And Balin says, no, of course not. Those are just, those are just, the, he asks, is that the Lonely Mountain? And he says, no, of course not. It's just the Misty Mountains, the Lonely Mountain. And the east is a way, a ways off. And then, oh, said Bilbo. And just at that moment, he felt more tired than he ever remembered feeling before. He was thinking once again of his comfortable chair before the fire in his favorite sitting room in his hobbit hole. And of the kettle singing, not for the last time. And there's an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. Shouldn't you be reading it? Not for the last time! Yeah, probably. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> Read it. Read it. Or write it, I mean. Write it. Yeah, and um, thinking about why this is so compelling to both children and adults. It sounded truly terrifying. This is when the goblins first steal them away. It sounded truly terrifying. The walls echoed to the clap snap and the crush smash to the ugly laughter of their ho-ho, my lad. The general meaning of the song was only too plain, for now the goblins took out whips and whipped them with a swish smack, and set them running as fast as they could in front of them. And more than one of the dwarves were already yammering and bleeding like anything when they stumbled into a big cavern. I think it's the mixing of this strange world with the sort of homely language. Mm. Smick smack. Yeah. And then just, yeah, the sounds he's willing to make to bring the story to life. It reminds me of campfire, like you're blowing on the fire and the embers to get the fire to go. But also at the same time, you're sitting there with dad around the campfire. Mm-hmm. So there is a sort of strange homeliness to it because you're all, he's always echoing back to the hobbit hole. The desire is to have the comforts of home while also traveling towards a dragon. And so I think even the language somehow balances that sort of edge that the story has. Tolkien was a good writer. He was a very that, good that writer. Camp, I mean, 
I guess that's the most duh statement of the podcast. But I mean, yeah, done, Nathan. He wasn't just a good world builder. I mean, how many authors are there out there, or have we read, or have we where they can build a great world, but they can't? Like Tolkien's great at dialogue. He's he wonderful. Is. His dialogue is fantastic. Uh, it, he can sketch a character so quickly, and his scene setting is wonderful. Yeah, like. He's just a talented guy, this J.R.R. Tolkien. That's my contention. And I don't know if you guys want to argue with me, but I no, think he knows what he's doing. Yeah, you're right. So I was. He's pretty good. Earlier today with some of my students, they were talking about dialogue and we were looking at, uh, we just started reading The Old Man of the Sea. Mm-hmm. They were pointing out the fact that Hemingway keeps saying, he said, he said, he said, as opposed to having more flavorful words. And I'm like, well, actually, haven't you guys ever been told that that's actually a hallmark of a good writer is when they don't rely on. Because they know the dialogue. The dialogue's supposed to capture the it tone. It captures it in and of itself, yeah. And if you ever have to use one of those strong words, it's because it adds something you couldn't get, but you, typically you're supposed to just say said. One of the great weaknesses of Harry Potter, and I, I stand by this perhaps hyperbolic sounding statement, one of the dumb things about Harry Potter is her use of adjectives after he said. Yes. And one of the dumb things about writing curriculums for kids is that it imposes variation upon them. Yeah. In yes. really unnatural and awkward ways. Writing curriculums that require... Think of it, five ad- adjectives for adjectives such and such. Adjectives yeah. in adverbs that require you to never just simply say he said. And it's all, it's just like, it's so backwards. It's like every how, kid has to grow up and if they're going to become a good writer, realize... They have to unlearn so much garbage. I should actually just use the words that are handy and come to my brain because that'll be nine times out of 10 way more effective than striving for a color, quote unquote, colorful... Yeah. adverb or adjective and actually yeah. adverbs when are you the do devil that, anyway. f- in in a forced unnatural way guess what it feels like it feels like it's forced and unnatural and nobody wants to read that it takes you out of the story right especially in something like fantasy for goodness sake instead of saying she was a pretty girl i should say a beauteous no female. i mean you can come up with a raymond chandler metaphor that's great but if not Right, but Raymond Chandler starts with the vernacular and starts with the way that people talk and starts with nouns and verbs. What was it? She was a blonde to make a... To make a bishop kick a hole in a stained glass window. (laughs) One of of my favorite lines (laughs) in all of literature. (laughs) It's a good one. (laughs) So you take this, like, very well, guess away, said Bilbo. Hanses, said Gollum. Wrong, said Bilbo, who had luckily just taken his hand out again. Guess again. Sss, said Gollum. More upset than ever. I mean, so how would a writing curriculum... So then you skip over, and then he says, knife, he said at last. Wrong, said Bilbo, who had lost his time some time ago. Last guess. According to these writing curriculums, this is bad writing. Right. right? Yeah. This is boring. S- hissed the, ev- the villainous creature. I know, it's like, you imagine giving Hemingway or Tolkien just a passage to some seventh grade you know, composition teacher mm-hmm. and watch them mark the crap out of that. Every sentence begins with the same word. <laughs> they have people have done those sorts of experiments before, and it's pretty funny. Oh, I'm sure you would yeah. destroy some of the great writing. I mean, starting yeah. with Shakespeare, probably. Yeah. Well, it's because they're not they're not colorful enough. They don't use enough of these. Like, I hate. There's one writing program in particular that I really don't like. I guess I probably shouldn't say its name on the podcast. Brandon, say it. Yeah, is that the one that I've been thinking of this whole time? I think so. Yeah, they're the ones that encourage you to just. Put like, to treat adverbs and adjectives like they're salt and pepper. Like they're going to save the dish. No. They always ruin it. Yeah. Like you know that you have nothing to say, that somebody has nothing to say if their sentences are chock full of adverbs and adjectives. It's like they really do. And I mean, less is just always more when it comes to that kind of thing. They always weaken unless there's a really good reason to put it in there to strengthen what you have to say. Right. You should so, be backed into a corner and then pull out the adverb as your like last ditch, make your yeah, idea so clear. To have some more fun with this. With you're my always students. lying if you're throwing them in there. Yeah. I, I wrote three thesis statements based on a poem we had just read. And one of them was like all fluffy and used all these adjectives and conjunctions and things to subordinate clauses to other subordinate clauses. And then I wrote a simple one. And then I also wrote one that was very sparse with its language, but got the point across. And it was a, it was a good point. And then we kind of weighed which one was good, which one was bad. And slowly they were able to realize that that one that was full of all these terms and stuff, all it was was clouding the fact that the author had nothing to say. In that case, it was me, but I did it on purpose to mm-hmm. teach them this. And mm-hmm. so- Sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what one of them said too. <laughs> sure, Mr. Chastain. I, I'll never forget. I had a really great 
my freshman year, I took uh, advanced expository writing. And I had just come out of this year where our high school had a pretty good English literature composition department until my senior year when the lady who, who, who made it what it was retired. And we got this insanely st- stupid, just absolutely stupid teacher who had no business teaching anything that she taught. I mean, I am not joking when I say that she literally could not explain to us what I, we had to teach her what iambic pentameter was. And she argued with our class, and this is my favorite example of a whole host of examples, but she argued with our class about the number of syllables in the word banana. And she literally stood in front of our class and kept saying, banana, see there are two. Well, even like the people that didn't care were like, what the heck, banana. I I just got so burned in this stupid class. Like I wrote my first paper, I got like a C or a D on it because she accused me of having run on sentences because I had been writing these complex sentences, but they weren't. And I like diagrammed the sentences and I took them to the department chair and she had to change my grade. But then after that, every sentence was like, the cat is fat. Like I just made it as insultingly stupid as possible. And so then I came into this advanced expository writing class and I just wrote this, like my first essay was like, it's just supposed to be this free form. What do you like about writing? And it was just like, I don't know what to think about writing anymore. I hate everything. I had this teacher. It all sucked. I, and it was just like all of these partial, like I was just, you know, sentence fragments and run on sentences. And it was just like me saying, I don't, care anymore about anything and I got an A plus on it. Yay. And then my teacher took me afterwards and was just like, you know, I don't care what they taught you and what they thought they taught you and what you thought you needed to learn or unlearn, but this is really great, clear communication of what you think and feel about everything. And that's all that good writing is. It was a really it was a really important thing for me to have that class and to have that teacher in particular. And I think a lot a lot of kids, especially growing up in these types of schools where they think that they know what excellence is. They just need somebody to clear the cobwebs out and just say, hey, good writing is just clearly being able to communicate yeah. what you think and feel. Mm-hmm. That's it. It is the expression of clear thinking. Yeah. And that's that's the problem with a lot of these writing programs, especially for young kids, is young kids get it into their head that good writing is about knowing an adverb and how to use a thesaurus. Like some, somehow that's going to make you a good writer. Right. But it's not about instead what good writing programs should do and why I'm actually, we're starting to get in my philosophy of education here, but I don't know if young children or even high schoolers should have writing courses that are separate from their main curriculum. Because I think that what a good writing course does, which means that every teacher knows needs to know how to be a good writer, yeah, is a good writing program will work the writing assignments into what they're thinking about. Mm. Because right. good writing is all about clear thinking. It's which all is, about expressing what you think about things. Which is why some of the best writing programs actually in college will be in the history department, uh, even in the religious studies department, yeah. where, or in the business department for that matter, where, hey, you've got to get across a, seer, a clear, simple proposal about an idea for how to run a business, or you have to be able to actually articulate what happened yeah. or do some analysis in a way that's clear and easy to understand. Those yeah. end up being more helpful and more instructive yeah. for how to write than the kind of, than the straight up, you know. Well, yeah, with essay 101 courses. The bad essay 101 courses. And so, and also, I mean, I, I do think that students should learn to mimic. Like you could take a passage of Tolkien and just have them sit down and copy it and then try to mimic it with something like try to tell a story like Tolkien would tell it or something like that. There are ways that you can get creative with that. The Ben Franklin method. That's the what ben I was just thinking. Exactly. I think I mean, the best I'm writing method I think I've ever heard is Ben Franklin would just, we should tell people, he would just yeah. out, he would take a good piece of writing that he that he admired and he would just thoroughly outline it, right? Make sure that he he had the points, he knew where they were going, and then he would try and- Rewrite it. Rewrite it, put it in his own words, without, recreate it without that person's piece of writing in front of him. And he would see what he did well how it worked, how it didn't. Raymond Chandler actually said the the way that he learned to write novels was he took some Perry Mason novels that worked, wrote a detailed outline, 
and then just like wrote a novel. And he said, I, I knew it worked when the Perry Mason guy did it. So seeing how it didn't work when I did it or how I carried it off or didn't carry it off was the most instructive thing that I ever did. And I learned how to write novels. And he said he gave that advice to all these people that he tried no to mentor. No one would ever and, do it. And he said they don't want to do it exactly. Because it takes work. Because it takes work and because it doesn't give them a publishable product at the end. So he said it's the best thing you could ever do, but absolutely everyone refuses to do it because you won't have something that you can use now at the end of it now because they don't want to work towards it yeah yeah but it's a yeah. great idea it is a great idea i think that man there's a lot of little rabbit trails are going down that's fine i do think it's why it's partly useful for a young writer to also have to take like an instrument or play a sport so mm -hmm. that they learn from something else that work is involved yeah like my son Jack is in baseball right now and he's had to learn that he can't be the greatest baseball player without practicing. Right. And that'll one day carry over, hopefully, if he wants to write, to his writing. I'll, be, I'll at least be able to use that metaphor from his life. You know, I never, ever, ever approach anything that we do creatively without, in my mind, revisiting the headspace of being in the weight room, practicing two-a-days on the football field. Like, I just don't. And that was only a really small window of time in my life, all told. But I don't think of anything that we do creatively. I don't even think about sermon writing without thinking about just the, without sort of almost channeling that mindset mm -hmm. of, hey, no, step by step, get in all of the work. Like, you know, that, the, that military phrase that says we don't rise to the level of our expectations, we sink, sink to the level of our training. Right, you don't expect to perform on the field and do things on the field that you haven't done a thousand times in practice. If you haven't done it a thousand times in practice, it will not happen on the ball field. Mm -hmm. It will not happen on the basketball court unless you've got like all of that stuff goes into everything that we. You don't. You don't unless you have the hours into your sermon prep. You will not get up and comfortably preach a sermon unless you. And yeah, sure, somebody who is. Uh, there are people that can stand up and give a sermon on a moment's notice, but they still have years and years and years and years of practice. Somewhere, the work somewhere happened. the work has happened and has gone into it, and it mm -hmm. that's true of absolutely every discipline in life, and it's no less true with writing. No matter how romantic people get about the idea <laughs> of being inspired, yeah, I mean, we always we talk around this, and I, I don't know that I actually know what I think, but there's part of me that could be pretty easily convinced that there's no such thing as inspiration and there's no such thing. I mean, I always want to say, well, it's 1% inspiration, but you could convince me, you could make a good argument that it's 0% inspiration, that it's all work, it's all mechanics, it's all structure, and some people are more, more intuitive about it, sure. There's no question that some people are more intuitive about it, but nobody is successful at it without doing the work. That's right. And that's what we, we mistake for genius. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to say that definitively because some people, <laughs> it seems like there is some place for something innate. You well, can't really you deny see it. it. I mean, one of my favorite stories to tell about my old baseball coach, Andy Rice, was the time that he threw a fungo, which is a wooden practice bat. It's lightweight, so you can hit the ball far and not get tired if you're like an old guy who's just hitting a bunch of fly balls. It's called a fungo. Anyhow, there's this kid on our team, well, and I won't say his name. He, he, he was one of the most singularly talented athletes I've ever seen in my life. My high school is known for producing athletic talent, NBA talent, NFL talent. It's one of the best basketball high schools in the state of Indiana, which is hands down the best basketball state in the country. I don't care who you are, where you are, what you think. Texas and New York are the two states that produce more quantity NBA players than Indiana. That's true. You get enough quantity, you can crush that quality, suffocate it. But you can't. Indiana produces the third highest number of NBA players with vastly smaller numbers of people. Huh. We're not going to have this argument. No, we're not. <laughs> I wasn't even serious. <laughs> <laughs> Take it to the court, guys. <laughs> well, we know how that would go. <laughs> Brandon would smash it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, one of my favorite stories is... This kid, insanely talented athlete, three 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 sport um, star, and he was just he was one of the laziest kids I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And he was out there dogging it, and coach yelled at him 
for dogging it. And uh, I, I, because there's a ball that he clearly could have gotten to if he would have hustled, maybe if he would have, if he had dived for it. And so he yelled at him and said he was going to make him run the rest of practice. And then he hit this ball to him in a gap that he should not have been able to get to. And he makes this like full on Superman diving catch for it. And it was just like this like spectacular play. Like compared to the ball that he had just dogged it on, like it wasn't even close. This ball was meant to go to the fence. Like it was like, if you don't catch this, I'm making you run the rest of practice. And then he hit the impossible ball that he wasn't supposed to catch so that he could make him run the rest of And he he caught it and it was amazing. And everybody was just sort of like standing there. Yeah. And then Coach Turner, and I'm, I put, I was a catcher, and so I'm catching the balls as they come back in. Coach turns around, he flings the fungo right at my head. I hit the deck, and then he makes the entire team run for the rest of practice. Uh. Anyhow, there's something to be said for natural talent. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I'm saying. But that guy didn't go anywhere. He didn't go anywhere. Yeah. You know who did? There were guys on that team that had a fraction of his talent but who worked their butts off and they went and they played in the minor leagues. They went and they got D1 scholarships, even at the highest levels of things like the NBA. The NBA is full of people that are insanely, they're all, everybody, if you're in the NBA, you're there because you are a genetic freak. You're a freak of nature and you have to work really hard to get there. But the guys that are the elite among the elite, the guys that are the Kobe Bryant's or the LeBron James or the Michael Jordan's, those guys, if you look at every single one of them, they are the most obsessive, insane, hardworking people that you have that you could ever imagine meeting. They're the kinds of people that sacrifice their entire life for their craft. Yeah. Every moment of every day. It's like and if you look at anything that anybody's ever said about Kobe Bryant, from the moment he got to the NBA at age 17, 18, age 18, he was not going to go out partying. He was not going to go out. He was going to go to the gym. He was going to analyze his opponents. He was going to break everything down. He was so focused on the details of the game. It's what made him. It's not that Kobe Bryant was more talented than everybody else in the NBA. It was that he was one of the most talented people in the NBA who also combined that talent with an obsessive work ethic. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, I do. I can't discount innate talent i mean no you you have to thing. you have to have the right wingspan the right just you have to have won the genetic lottery to to even be able to make it in the nba and there's something analogous for the craft of writing and yeah, some people have an ear and some people don't some people have people without an ear can still learn to write and people with an ear people who are just naturally writers can Squander it. Squander that. Yes, by, they can. by not working. They can squander it by not working, or they can be obsessive and become what the writers think are the best. Like I'm thinking James Joyce, mm-hmm. but would James Joyce have ever written The Hobbit? Nope. So there's something also to be said for the... So you don't feel like The Hobbit is as carefully wrought as Ulysses, but there's still a wonder and a beauty to it that just comes from the simplicity of it. There's a delight in craft, a delight in the style. You get the sense that J.R. Tolkien was still, in many ways, very obsessive. I mean, you read his letters and you know he was. And yet at the same time, I don't think that he labored over every sentence the way James Joyce did. And I think James Joyce would be a good parallel to Michael Jordan in yeah, the writing world. Right. I don't think that... Like, Tolkien didn't give his life to writing in the way that... Well, there's a reason why Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant are two of the least beloved uh, teammates in the NBA. Nobody ever liked being their teammate, ever. Really? Nobody ever liked being their teammate because they were proud, they were arrogant, and they they were so unwilling to be understanding of somebody who was just there to be a humble craftsman, if we're going to... I mean, you... How dare you be on the same court as them if you think your job is, the NBA is just your job and that you're just going to be a role player. If you don't have the mindset of battling your demons 24-7 and channeling your inner darkness into turning you into the greatest of all time and screw anybody who gets in my way, like then you don't speak the same language. You're a different animal, a different beast. Another, another thing to add would be Kanye West. Right. Right. That's yeah. the stories behind him. 
Yeah. Well, and you read about to take it back to uh, writing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kanye West. <laughs> yeah, Kanye, Kanye West. No, um, when when I read stories about Joyce, when I read stories about there's like there's a anecdote. It's probably not true about Flaubert that his buddy ran into him on the streets, and Flaubert looked depressed, and his buddy said, "Yeah, what's wrong? Maybe this is about Joyce. It's about one of the two. One of those probably is about Joyce. Actually, not. A, hey, James, what's You're what's about the twelve word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, what, yeah what's Joyce? Well, yeah, Joyce. Yeah, not Flaubert. Although Flaubert has kind of a similar legend to him. What's wrong, James? You look depressed today. Ah, uh, well, I only wrote seven words. Well, actually, James, that's that's pretty good for you. Seven words. That's that's awesome. You, you that's 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 like that's a pretty good day for you. Yeah, but I don't know what order they go in. <laughs> Which speaks to a guy like Joyce or Flaubert the perfectionism of somebody like that. But it's like, how many good short stories did we miss from somebody like James Joyce because he wasn't willing to be imperfect, because he wasn't willing to just write a slightly less than perfect sentence because he wasn't willing to obsess about it. There is a coldness, especially... Those guys become their own curse because I'm not convinced that Finnegan's Wake isn't just garbage. Right. (laughs) So. I am not convinced of that either, although... And, you know... Well, it... You know what? The Hobbit, in its own way, is kind of co- kind of a commentary on this exact thing. Jake, it's a fool's errand. I think this episode. No, I can do it. I, I can think do this it. is a style no, episode. I can do he's, it. He's going to do it. Nathan, let him try. Right, let me do it. All right. If you don't get this perfect, Jake, I've, we I've, will make you redo it <laughs> until you accomplish perfection, my friend. See, Kobe, Kobe. Thor and Oakenshield, a man obsessed with the dream of reclaiming his grandfather's golden birthright. Mm-hmm. Starts out as a good guy, becomes the villain by the end. He gets so obsessed with gold. He gets so obsessed with his possession. It turns him into a monster that is willing to kill Bilbo Baggins if it were not for Gandalf. All along, you have the humble hobbit who's able to step back and see perspective mm-hmm. on things and realize that, hey, there are things bigger than greed and gold. and Dying Thor and Oakenshield on his bed says that immortal line of Tolkien's. He's going to read it, guys. Yeah. Jake is about to read this immortal line. He's at the half court line. He's got the ball in his hand. He's getting down. He's getting ready to jump. Shoot. Here, wait. Let me see if I can do it without, before you read it, let me see if I can do it. If there were more folk who cared for uh, for girls. (laughs) Old yeller. (laughs) No. If, If more folk cared for food and drink and simple crap and not like gold then the world would be a merrier place Uh, but sad or merry i must leave it now and peter jackson you jerk you took out the sad or merry i must leave it now and that was always so such a good part of that speech you just had a t-shirt was that peter jackson you jerk (laughs) peter jackson you jerk (laughs) but i'm a peter jackson apologist brandon Maybe it should be Brandon, you jerk. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Brandon Chastain, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good shirt. <laughs> Sad or merry, I must leave that, That's a good line for Instagram, Nathan. Sad or merry, I must leave it now. Hey, Nathan, hey. 200 likes on one post. Bravo, sir. Thank you, Brandon. Bravo, sir. My favorite television station. If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. But, but sad, sad or, or merry, I must, must leave, leave it, it now. now. Farewell. So there you go. So that's the tale. Tale is, you know, these guys, they obsess. They become like Thor and Oakenshield. They obsess over their gold. They, they value their words as if it were precious gold. It's greed. It's, it is a form of greed, yeah. It is greed. And they become stingy and miserly with their precious gold, their words, they and their word They become smog. They become the dragon. They become Thorin, and they don't realize that if they were just a little bit like Bilbo, a.k.a. Tolkien, if they just valued cheer and song, the world would be a merrier place, and it would be a merrier place for the stories and the things that they could give us. You make a fair point, Jake. I did it. I think- I succeeded. He he did it, Nathan. I think that he is the Michael Jordan of bringing this podcast back to where it was meant to be. <laughs> I hate to say it, guys, but- We've been talking about style a long time now. But what else do we have to say about The Hobbit? (laughs) 
I think we have to find out next week. No, Nathan. <laughs> sorry, listener. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. It was a style podcast. <laughs> it's hey, no. Hey, listen. Don't apologize for that. It, this is the year of Tolkien, and Tolkien's going to get us on to all kinds of deep, fun, interesting things, and we should be able to follow the rabbit trails and the readers, the listeners of this show. They want to follow us there. I'll tell you what happened to those Mirkwood people when they followed the rabbit trails. They got captured by elves, Jake. Talk about one of my they favorite They got captured scenes. by elves, then they escaped the elves, and they made it all the way down the river. That is one thing that we haven't talked about with The Hobbit yet, Nathan. What's that? Is the way that he can use sort of all of these different tones of setting really well. I don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it? Next week, Brandon. And so you have the scene in the Merc. <laughs> Let's just keep pushing on. He can't stop us if we don't stop talking. How long Girl, have we been talking, Nathan? We I haven't even given the people a real episode yet. No, it was an episode on style. Jake's right. We followed the Hobbit trail. And now we got. We took a little meandering off. You came speeding with your car and saved us from the spiders. You're going to get us back on the path. It was like that famous scene where Bilbo speeds in his car and saves yeah. the dwarves from spiders. Am I mixing up Harry Potter and the <laughs> Hobbit right now? <laughs> But having those fires off in the woods. So have you ever been in the woods late at night? Like, mm-hmm. So our men's retreats here at our church, we'll go to this retreat and you can go out and you can walk on these paths at night. You just imagine like you're walking on this path straight ahead of you and then off in the distance, you see these little lights flick and you want to go see what they are. But as soon as you get off the path, you can't find it again. Yeah. What an amazing concept. Yeah. Or you have a golem down at the this pond in the middle. I mean, he's... So many images that J.K. Rowling just ripped right off of Tolkien. Having a pond in the middle of a cavern mm-hmm. where there's something, where there's a little island with something that's on it, a treasure. Come on. She stole that right from this. That's true. And that'd be a fun thing to talk about in a Hobbit episode, but this is a yeah. style episode, so nobody cares. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he's, he's not giving up. <laughs> One of the... <laughs> I, I gave up. I'm ready to just do the next episode if that's what... I just think this episode... I think it's a worthwhile episode. Yeah, I thought it was a good episode. I, I just want to make it an episode. And let's do The Hobbit on Monday, and then we'll have even another week for... We'll actually have additional time on Jane Austen, which will be nice. Okay. Maybe I can get some of those letters read. Cool. All right. So where did we actually leave off? I think this is the kind of episode that could be helpful to people. I like these be episodes. I'm, I'm completely behind this episode and proud of this episode. This is the kind of episode we'll find out years from now Jane and Katie thought was really useful. And helped revolutionize their school. Look, The Booketing is a podcast about three friends that read literature and emphasis on the three friends. If we get excited about a bunny trail, that's almost never a bad thing. So I'm not ashamed of this episode. I just don't want to turn it into a combination Hobbit episode because I, pe- I don't want people that sign up for The Hobbit to have to wait an hour to get so to The Hobbit. So you need a disclaimer up top. Yes, it'll have one. Yeah. Brandon, shut up. Just shut up. No one cares about The Hobbit. No one wants to hear your thoughts about The Hobbit. Okay? Nathan. And you know what? We're not friends. Oh. My only friend is Jake. Uh huh. He's my best friend. Oh. I like to- You're my best friend, too. I like to shake his hand. But you know whose hand I'll never shake? Whose? Brandon Chastine's. I'd rather spit in your face. I'd rather have spikes driven into my feet than have to look at you again, Brandon. (laughs) This hurts, Nathan. You know why? This hurts. Because you're stupid. You're fat. You're ugly. And you know who else doesn't like you? This cough is coming out of nowhere. I think a little soda too fast. It's not just me that doesn't like you. It's your wife. It's your kids. And you know why we don't like you? It's the smell mostly. (laughs) And the slimy hands. And the hands. Yeah, they are a little slimy. And when you eat those fish, it's like, dude, just go away. But Nathan. And don't come back. Don't give me the malaria that is the, the visual malaria that is seeing your fat, stupid face. But you're my precious, Nathan. Brennan? You're my precious. I'm sorry, but you are never allowed on the booking again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just kidding, folks. <laughs> wow. I'm just wondering if I could get you to fit in my pockets. <laughs> fact is i can fit i can fit in brendan's pocket and fun fact about brendan he's a kangaroo (laughs) and a kangaroo (laughs) i don't know but if people didn't know that (laughs) brendan's got like a giant pouch yeah i hop around with nathan riding in it yeah i generally i like to i i generally ride in brendan's (laughs) pouch if people didn't know that um podcast took kind of a weird turn folks 
But we'll be back next week with an in-depth evisceration of that stupid book, The Hobbit. We will take that book down. We will show people just, Obviously, yeah. just how crummy a piece of literature that is. It's responsible for the death of that guy. That <laughs> Epstein? Was, Epstein, yes. <sighs> you know what really gets on my nerves? What's that? Epstein memes. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty dumb. Yeah. Hey, folks, I feel like I he should say- He didn't kill himself. He didn't kill himself. No. He just died. Wait. Oh, he he was killed. Jake's Jake's yeah. an Epstein truther. Oh, Jake's yeah. Jake's a big like UFO fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that explains why he's always wearing a UFO cap. Yeah, tinfoil hat. Yeah. yeah, people never hear. If you ever hear a crinkling <laughs> sound, it's the sound of Jake's tinfoil hat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what else does Jake believe in? Sasquatch. Sasquatch. Yeah. Chupacabra. He claims he has a pet chupacabra, but he's never shown it to us. Yeah. The devil's. Biter, what's that thing called? Yeah, that's a chukokabra. I cannot pronounce the, that word. The wee below. <laughs> the wee below. <laughs> what was that thing called? <laughs> Listen, guys, let's do some donor shout outs. We're going to be back next week with a great Hobbit episode. I can almost guarantee it. So donor shout out, guys. Jake, I want you to shout them out. And Brandon, I want you to say which philosopher best encapsulates the philosophy of this person. Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Plato. Ah, nice. Because they're platonic lovers. Yep. Are they? <laughs> they're just friends? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> We've been calling them the lovers. I don't all know how they ever had me. The Artful Anthony Dodger. The Artful Anthony Dodger. Uh, you know what? Do you guys remember when I used to do this from memory, by the way? There's a long period I where I just did this by memory. I don't. But, I do remember that. But then it turned into like- Too many. A lot of- Aristotle. Nice. The great- He wrote Poetics. He did. A book that's pretty good. It's on Sophocles. Yep. Uh, Little Anthony Cigar Store. Little Anthony Cigar Store. A tragedy, then, is an action that is serious, complete, and of a certain magnitude. True. The various parts being found in various aspects. Immanuel Kant. Nice. Jake, if you have any thoughts about what philosopher they're associated with, please feel free. Oh, yeah. I, I feel very free. The Immortal Chelsea The e. Immortal Chelsea E. Plato. Plato again. Oh, Confucius. Ah, uh, the great philosopher Confucius. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. David Hume. Wow. Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. Hang on, guys. Brandon. You got your list of philosophers. Do you have a Wikipedia list of philosophers? No, Nathan. <laughs> uh, you're just going to have to hang on just one minute. It's definitely Rene Descartes. Rene Descartes. Rene Descartes. Mm hmm. You Don't... know what, Nathan, I always said? What's that? Don't put Descartes, Descartes before, before the, the horse. horse. <laughs> Is that what you already said? Or always said? Uh, Lily of the Valley. I, that was who we just Sorry. Did. Andrew Nestor the Lovebirds. Andrew Nestor the Lovebirds. Machiavelli. Wow, yeah. They are pretty shifty, that Andrew Nestor the Lovebirds. The Keith Master. The Keith Master. Socrates. Nice. Socrates. David's Mighty Men Trucking. David's Mighty Men Trucking. John Locke. Nice. My hero from Lost. Uh, John and Jill and Little Baby Max. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Diogenes of Sinope. <laughs> Everybody's favorite philosopher, Diogenes of Zinabay. Jane Katie or Cold and Love Cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Jane Katie or Cold and Love Cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including Until We Have Faces. Uh, uh, Jake, it's actually not till, Until We Have till, Faces. Till. It's Till uh, One Star. Did that happen to us? <laughs> I listened to the podcast. I have li now listened to one episode, and I found that they mispronounced the name of a C.S. Lewis book. One Star. <laughs> Thanks to Jake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Thomas Aquinas. Cool. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Laozi. Laozi, wow. Consul Prime Adam. Consul Prime Adam. Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. Nice. Jeremy the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Leibniz. Jeremy the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Baruch Spinoza. Spinoza. Nathan, not me. Nathan, not Nathan. A Voltaire. A Voltaire? Voltaire. Hey, it's old Voltaire. Hey, it's a Voltaire. Where'd He's got the, the pizza hair? pie. Where'd you get the hair, Voltaire? <laughs> Where did Voltaire get the hair? Maya! 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 Thomas Hobbes. Nice. Ryan the Red Avenger. And Ryan the, the of Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Augustine of Hippo. Ooh, this is Ooh. fun. For the next, for the rest of them, Jake, I'm going to just give you the name and then you have to say the moniker, okay? okay. Danny. I wonder if you're hungry, the old dude. Augustine of Hippo. Nice. Brandon, what? philosopher for Denny. Al Ghazali. Nice. 
Sammy. DJ Sammy G. Siddhartha Gautama Buddha. Boo. <laughs> Yeah, Siddhar- boo, Brandon. Siddhartha Gautama Buddha. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> okay. racist. Wow, racist. Uh, Benny. Benny and Dana Tiberius. Nice. Baron de Montesquieu. Uh, Eric and Catherine. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Jean-Jacques Rousseau. I won't give you either names, but the, these are people that refuse to even be identified on the booking whatsoever. Their name is a complete nom de plume without any relation to their actual name. I know, I know it. Maybe you say it, and then Jake can have, I'll have to say the philosopher. Professor and Lady A. That's uh, right. What philosopher do they both remind you of? C.S. Lewis. Nice. Right, you're going to say Dalrock. <laughs> Lavender's green, Dylan. Oh, Lavender's, Lavender's blue. blue. I guess you know what this Lavender's one is. Yeah, green, I was Dylan, waiting Dylan, for that Dylan, one to come I up. I love you too. Philosopher? <laughs> Ayn Rand. Oh, boy. I'm sorry, Lavender's green, Dylan. Dylan. Noah. Constrictor. George Berkeley. Barkley. Charles Barkley. I don't remember what this person's actual name is. Marilyn, Meredith, Mara, Mary. Mary Cheap. Yes, right. Simone de Beauvoir. Chloe. The fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. This is the number one philosopher, Sun Tzu. (laughs) Oh, well, he wrote The Art of War, right? Yeah. Pretty cool book. Zach and Catherine. Zach. Oh, oh my did goodness. I get Jack? Did Six I get pack ja- Zach with the mean attack and Catherine with the knack for laying down the smack? Nicely done, sir. Uh, I'm out of top 25 philosophers, so that means we have more than 25 donors. Brandon, you great. didn't say Wake Wittgenstein. I'm about to say Heidegger. 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 Definitely a Heidegger. Definitely Heidegger. Anthony. No, it's a different Anthony. Cigar? Nope. <laughs> we got all of it. People that are named Anthony tend to like the booking. Um, Anthony the Cigar Man. I'll give you a hint. This guy is the opposite of K and JD who oh. are cold and love cheese. Oh, Anthony who is... Hates cheese and cold everything. Cold and hates with... cheese and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He hates... Anthony is cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit, pursuit of cheese. Pursuit of cheese, yeah. That's definitely Wittgenstein right there. Yep, definitely. Jeffrey? <laughs> Jeffrey. Jeffrey Dahmer. Nope. <laughs> he, does, he does not support our podcast. <laughs> he He's dead. Oh. Jeffrey Dahmer is dead, folks. Sorry. Jeffrey... Dead for? All you Dahmer heads, I'm sorry. Mm. I think a lot of Dahmer fans listen to our podcast. <laughs> no, you've got me rattled here. I'm not picking this one up. Jeffrey likes to eat organs, <laughs> yeah, kill people. It's not Jeffrey Dahmer. We don't have Jeffrey <laughs> Dahmer supporting our podcast, folks. You're insulting a good supporter. No, I love Jeffrey. He's a great man, and he has never eaten any organs, maybe from animals, but not from humans. I'm lost. Give it is a-, a form of curate. Of crate? Karate. Karate. That's how Brady pronounces it. Judo Jeff, ju, eh, Jiu-Jitsu yes. Jeffrey. The, yep. Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey the... Brennan State? The Texas Ranger. Ranger. That's right. I can't believe you couldn't remember that. <laughs> I mean... Logical and highly... <laughs> he is none other than Sensible that. title. He's the great philosopher Chuck Norris. Yeah, that's right. Rachel. 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 Not too hard to remember that one. Thomas? Kierkegaard. Thomas the... Kierkegaard. I didn't say a philosopher. I'm so sorry, Brandon. Kierkegaard. For Rachel? Yeah. Rachel. (laughs) Rachel. It's a special... Leopard Tank Thomas. Very nice, Jake. We are getting into the new ones, and I will not judge you too hard if you don't remember some of these. This one... I hope they don't judge me. Uh, Ellen. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Very nice. Nice. Nicely done. The philosopher, Brandon? Uh, Foucault. Nicely done. Pulling another philosopher. <laughs> Thank you. Congetta. Queen. Queen Congetta. Uh, have we done... Joseph Conrad. He's kind <laughs> of a philosopher. Have we done Joseph Conrad? <laughs> nope, we haven't done Joseph. The great philosopher, Joseph Conrad. <laughs> Joseph Conrad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Apparently, if Jake says a random person and says they're a philosopher... <laughs> it counts. Uh, I think you ought to Have be able to remember Nietzsche? this one. Jedediah. Uh, Return of the Jedediah. Very nice. Uh, there are some Greek philosophers. Have you actually said Nietzsche yet? I'm saving Nietzsche for someone very special. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it Jedediah? <laughs> no, it's not him. Pythagoras. Uh, he's more of a mathematician, isn't he? Bringing in. He had some philosophical ideas. Yeah. Well, Nathan. So did your mom, Brandon. Well, yeah, she did. Uh, Jay. Brand- I'll be impressed if you get these last few because these are pretty new. Jay. This is the Katie-less Jay. That would have been a cool name for him, actually. The Katie-less Jay. Makes him sound like a bird. 
is warm and nope. loves bees. Nope. And... That's coming up. Okay. J of. Rack and Ruin. Very good. J of Rack and Ruin. What philosopher does J of Rack and Ruin make you think of, Brandon? Nietzsche. Ah, well. <laughs> Timothy. I'm going to cut you a little slack and say there's no way I would ever get this one because this is we're getting into the really new people here. Timothy. I love all of them and I'm thankful for their support. Well, we'll, we'll get you down. Oh, Just yeah. Give it, give it time. Give it um, time. Timothy, can you give me a clue? Timothy the. <laughs> Barbarian. No. Timothy the writer at dawn. Timothy the writer at dawn. There was no way I was yeah, getting that. I, yeah. That's, Bertrand Russell. Nice. <laughs> uh, Eric and Kate. Eric and Kate, who are warm and love bees, and mm, you're missing some crucial information <laughs> here, Jake. This is might be my favorite name we've ever given anyone. <laughs> Very sensible and smart name. It is, of course, Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are warm and love bees. Epicurus, Epicurus, nice. More, more Romans. Matt, Greek. Matt, man. There you go. Maddie, 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 Matt, man. Peter Singer. Whoa. Eugenist. The evil man. Much like Brandon, an evil eugenist. Yes, that is who I am. Brandon's a very kind eugenist, folks. And I would like to introduce to the podcast our newest supporter. What? Her name, and boy, do I hope she's a her. Jake thinks she's a her, and I'm going with Jake, so... I'm, I'm going to say I'm 99% sure. Most people with this name are her, but there's really nothing to indicate one way or another. There the, is something to indicate one way or another, namely that somebody of the exact same name yes. follows the booking on Instagram. That's right. We That's have right. not Instagram stalked you. Nope. Jake just knows that. Jake knows everyone <laughs> on Instagram. It's a fun fact about Jake. Every time we get a new Instagram follower, Jake will just memorize who they are. Yep. I had the idea of looking up the Instagram. Fo- I don't even. And then he prints out a, prints out their picture, booking account, and he post doesn't it, post it in his basement. That's right. <laughs> wow, he has a whole wall of just all of our Instagram followers mm-hmm. connected with threads. In the middle is a giant question mark. Yep. <laughs> and every night Listen, he goes Jamie. and he grabs his hair and he weeps in front of it. Right. Yep. Nathan and Brandon were afraid of that you might be a a guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to look on social media and see if I can figure out if it's if me and Jamie's Brandon, by the way, always woman. afraid that everyone's a guy. We are so intimidated by other men. That's <laughs> We're right. just like, true. is it a man? I hope it's not a man. <laughs> Whatever shall I do? <laughs> um, no, Jamie, we welcome you. And I dub the Sweet Jamie Sunshine. That's a good name. Nathan. I think you know we have so many Sweet writers at dawn Jamie and like Sunshine. evil sounding Red pulp Avengers heroes, kind of sin, dark headed lords of death. Yeah, we need some more. We've got fair and flag- fragrant, fair and flagrant. Do, do, I like to say do, do, do. We've, we've got fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. I think she should not be the fair and flagrant. <laughs> She's just flagrant. No, but the point is, we need more feminine energy, more Sweet just Jamie sweetness and light Sunshine. and. And it's just niceness, right. more butterflies, more spoonful of sugar. And so I'm calling you Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Going up to you, Sweet Jamie Sunshine. So say hello and welcome to the paywall. Welcome to Patreon to Sweet Jamie Sunshine, folks. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Welcome. I think Good Day Sunshine would have been a better pull than... Good day, sunshine. Or Mr. Sunshine. Wait, wait, wait. It's not Mrs. Sunshine. Mr. Sunshine. Mr. Sunshine. Bring no. me a <laughs> No, there's a ELO song. Mr. Sun Sky, why do you fly away for so long? So long, did you get? That's Mr. Sunshine, isn't it? Boom, boom, Yeah. So. Show, Nathan. So why a, not? It's the Beatles. Well, bye, everybody. <laughs> Does she need a philosopher? Yeah, she needs I a philosopher. Good day, sunshine. Uh, John good Lennon. day, sunshine. She is that famous philosopher. I like to laugh. Do 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 do. Oh, and when uh, the sun is out, I find something to laugh about. I feel good. Do 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 do. In a special way. What philosopher is she, Brandon? Oh man, Fyodor Dostoevsky's on this list. Fyodor. Do- Fyodor. She's not Dostoevsky. No, man. she's not. She's, Give her a good philosopher. This is sunshine. her first time. She's sunshine, Nathan. She's sunshine. Sweet Jamie, so. who's the happiest philosopher? Have we said Kierkegaard yet? Yeah, that beacon <laughs> of joy and happiness. Have Kierkegaard. we said Kierkegaard? <laughs> yeah. Epicurus is pretty happy. Here, who is? Epicurus. Epicureanism is named after him. <laughs> she doesn't want to be an Epicurean. 
Um, she, she wants to be a happy philosopher. Who's the happiest philosopher? You want me to ask? Let's ask Google. Whoever yeah. comes up is who she is, even if someone else already has it. Yeah. The happiest philosopher. be <laughs> some kid's book. Yeah, it'll be Mr. Rogers or something. Mr. Ar- Rogers is good. Aristotle. Aristotle's not the happiest philosopher. Nine of history's greatest philosophers reveal the secret to happiness. No. Friedrich Nietzsche is on there. No. Oh, my goodness. Happiness is the feeling that power increases, that resistance is being overcome. What does that even moron. mean? That's what Nietzsche said? Oh, boo. He's a moron. He is a moron. You know who was all about happiness? Who Socrates. That? Socrates. Yeah, Socrates was all about the happy life, how you just needed to give up everything and just ponder things. Go stand by the river and stare at it. Think about the platonic forms. He was a weirdo. All right, But Jamie. he was all about happiness. That's our advice for you. Give up on life, get a shopping cart, and go stare at the river. I mean, these are what philosophers do. Go live there. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, it comes down to philosophy, which is- Why is Matt Foley not one of our- Yeah, Matt Foley, that's it. That's Jamie's philosopher? Yeah. (laughs) Jamie, I hope you like SNL from the late 80s, early (laughs) 90s, because if so, you must be chuckling. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a perfectly good reference that probably most of our listeners got. And Come on, I, I made fun down of it. by the river. Yeah, it's a Chris, it's the Chris Farley sketch. I like the one where he's all fat and <laughs> dancing, and it's funny because he's a big fat guy. <laughs> that's, that's a good sketch. <laughs> all right, folks, we'll be back with an actual Hobbit episode next week. It won't be about style. I mean, I'm sure we'll touch on style. How could you not? But. It will be a nice meaty Hobbit episode, like a, like one of those meals at Bjorn's with all the honey infused bread and what meat and everything. About? What's that? What are we going to talk about? The Hobbit? Yeah. Goblins. Booking today, written and produced by Brandon Chasteen. Brandon actually scripted this whole thing out. He thought it would be a great episode. Me and Jake, we weren't we were so, dubious. Yeah, we were dubious, but Brandon actually pulled a gun on us and made us do it. So we're please, like the people bought and paid for Tolkien. They wanted The Hobbit. Brandon was like, "No, no, no. We're going to talk about wanna, style." And and I wrote. We're going to use Tolkien as a jumping off point for talking about sports and our own hobby horses right brandon wrote all these sports monologues for jake and jake didn't want to talk about them jake doesn't care about sports sheesh but brandon's like i'll put a bullet in your neck jake that wart yeah (laughs) i'll shoot i'll shoot that wart right off your face which let's face it that would take like a bazooka but (laughs) the point is Brandon wrote a great episode, and we're very thankful for him. And we'll be back to talk about the booking. People are going to believe this now. <laughs> we're going to talk about <laughs> that. I wrote this. Uh, did I just say we're going to talk about the booking? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Next we're week. We have a meta episode. <laughs> episode. Going to believe <laughs> I wrote this that episode. you threatened to shoot my yeah your wart off face off. They're not going to. They're definitely. I mean, they already believe the wart. That's canon. <laughs> yeah. Star wart. We actually call it a star wart because it's as big as a star. Yeah. It's got its own solar system yeah it does planets <laughs> revolve around jake's the only, wart the only reason we do the booking is because we can't escape jake's gravitational pull <laughs> we're all circling around jake's wart as, as we record these episodes <laughs> we can invent a device that will let us get off of out of the pull of jake's wart <sighs> <laughs> that's such good friends yeah <laughs> bye everybody 